Welcome to Advancing All Women with Sarah Alter, President and CEO of Network of Executive Women. On this show, you'll hear top executives and experts talk the most pressing topics for women in the workplace. From advancing women of color, to developing and engaging male allies, to how to navigate the new workplace post-COVID-19. Sarah will cover it all as she and her guests dig into these key issues. Now, here's your host, Sarah Alter. So prepare to be rattled today. I'm going to frame our show with three stats, which, quite frankly, I find startling. The first, women were four times more likely than men to lose or leave their jobs during this pandemic. I call it the collision of crazy. There were months in the U.S. where 100% of the job losses were with women only. The second stat, in a McKinsey study, we learned that there was a six year, six-year loss of career progress that had been achieved by women in the U.S. workplace. And this loss occurred over this 12 to 15-month period. The last one, okay, and this one gets staggering. The World Economic Forum shared that globally, we've lost 36 years of progress for women in the workplace in this past year. Okay, I trust these stats rattled you. They have clearly rattled me and they have driven myself and and our organization and our partners into action. New is now committed more than ever that leaders and organizations, they have to step up to better support working women in this new era and these new challenges and, and dynamics that they are facing. I'm Sarah Alter. And in addition to being the host of our show, Advancing All Women, I'm the president and CEO of the Network of Executive Women. If you don't know who we are, we are a 501c3. We're a professional community whose mission is to advance all women in the workplace while transforming the face of business. So today's show is focused on what we've heard it referred to as the She Session and how we can reverse this negative trend. You know, how do we guide leaders and their organizations to address this disproportionate and detrimental impact that has occurred to women? You know, how do we better serve them, working women and caretakers in general in these ever-shifting workplace dynamics? Change and flexibility, clearly two key elements. I am joined by three absolutely incredible leaders and partners with new and I know they will undoubtedly guide us all. We are joined by Emma Codd, who is the Global Inclusion Leader for Deloitte Global. Welcome, Emma. Thank you, Sarah. We are joined by um, Abby Lursman, soon to be EVP, Chief People Officer for Otis Elevators. Welcome, Abby. Thanks, Sarah. Great to be a part. And Sarah McGowan. SVP Global Talent Leadership and Diversity at Alhol Delhaize. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. Glad to be here. I know. So glad to have all of you. All right. So we're going to tackle this issue and we are going to leave our audience with those next key steps. Like, how do they take action to reverse this trend? Um, Emma, you and Deloitte just recently um, published a study, Women at Work, A Global Outlook. 
And I think it does just such an excellent job framing the situation and the opportunity. Um, can you can you fill us all in? Give us a brief overview of, of what were the key findings and, and takeaways from this fabulous study. Yes, thanks, Sarah. Um, so yes, we decided, in fact, we decided before the pandemic that we wanted to do a piece of research really to try and prove the hypothesis that it, uh, for a successful approach on gender equality within the workplace, it was mostly about culture and working environment um, uh, rather than programs that fix the women in inverted commas. Now, we had to put that piece of research on hold. Obviously, the pandemic came along. Um, and so around about November uh, of last year, 2020, we picked that research up again and we flexed it. What we decided to do was, yes, look at culture, look at environment um, and all things equity. But we also wanted to gauge um, the way that women were feeling and how the difference between the way they had felt and their experiences before the pandemic and during. So now the findings are really startling. There is some optimism, which we can come on to later. But in terms of you know the, the findings themselves, they really reinforce your opening and, and what you said. And actually, they reinforce my experience, what I've seen around me. Um, with my various friends of mine. So, so just a snapshot of the findings. So this, this is a survey of 5,000 women across 10 countries. So it really is a global survey. We were able to cut the data but from an intersectionality perspective. So we were able to, to look at aspects from um, a women of colour perspective and an LGBT plus uh, women perspective, which is really important to see the impact intersectionality has. Just three or four main findings. The first one, probably for many women that are listening, um, will empathize with this. So women have experienced what I always describe as the perfect storm, increased workload, increased responsibilities at home. Now, the impact of this has been a dramatic decrease in, in optimism. And just to give you a couple of really startling statistics, um, the, you know, the impact has been that these many of these women, more than half, say they expect to leave their current job within the next two years. And the top reason for that is work-life balance. And then really worrying, around a quarter say that they expect to drop out of the workforce entirely at any time now. And the top reason for that is workload. So that's, that's the first thing. It's this perfect storm that's hit us and caused all sorts of stressors. And, and you know, many, many women have just decided, you know what, I've had enough. I don't want to do this. Yeah. I, I think the second point is the impact on mental health and motivation and also a general theme of, of a perceived lack of support or an experienced lack of support, should I say, by, by employers. And I always count myself lucky. I work for a, a part of an amazing organization. I have really supportive um, people around me. But for those that don't, it's really clear that this has impacted them. So just a couple of things around this. So impact on mental health has been enormous, a 35 percentage point drop in those um, that said that their mental health was good or very good. So from before the pandemic to during the pandemic, I mean, that's that's ridiculous and enormous. A massive um, impact on motivation, as I said, support. Many feel that support has been lacking. Many women we spoke to said they feel completely overwhelmed, burnt out, and that's even asking and getting a reduction in hours. Presenteeism prevails. They're telling us, yeah. many are telling us they feel judged um, really on the hours they're sitting online rather than output. And then the only other point that I wanted really to make um, 
was about non-inclusive behaviors. And if you go back to why we were originally going to do this research, and so <laughs> we wanted to ask about this because, you know, our view was that microaggressions, you know, non-inclusive behaviors were still happening in the workplace and they were causing women to, you know, to, to really consider whether they wanted to be in the employment they were in. And actually that came through loud from this research. Yeah. And one would make an assumption that even though many of us are not physically present in the office, um, you'd make an assumption that, that that means that those behaviors that may have happened in the office don't happen. Well, the sad thing is they are happening and they have been happening. Yeah. Over half the women we spoke to said in the last year, they had encountered um, non-inclusive behaviors. And, and really yeah. worryingly, yeah. these women say that they're not reporting them. And when you when you ask why, it's it's actually you know the same reasons probably many years ago that I didn't report for it, fear of career you know of, of a lack of career progression of career impact and also fear that it won't be taken seriously enough. So yeah. you know so these are really stark findings. Later on, I can talk about the intersectional impact as well because that's worse than what we've seen when it comes to women of color and LGBT plus women. But overall, it's very clear that the McKinsey data you know, is is telling the right story here in, t- in yeah. terms of what women have experienced. It, it's interesting. I saw a quote the other day and it said the key to being a successful working woman is that you have to do your job as if you don't have children and you have to mother as if you don't have a job. And to your point, like this past year, you, you couldn't buy compartmentalize, right? Like it was a collision of you know, work, life, family, household. And, and, and again, to your point that um, this situation only exacerbated um, the divides, right? That, you know, that, that desire to feel like I belong, but in this virtual world, it was even more challenging. Um, Abby, I know you, you and I've chatted about this. You were plugged into some phenomenal CHRO groups and you've had opportunity to hear the experiences of other organizations. What have you been hearing? Yeah, and Sarah, unfortunately, what Emma is sharing both through the Deloitte study and McKenzie is ringing true loud and clear. So I'm on the Gartner CHRO board and we have a regular round table that has 30 plus CHROs. And then we also have an executive CHRO exchange that I'm facilitating that actually has 30 plus CHROs. And consistently you hear that the pandemic is exposing and really exasperating the considerable hurdles that women face in achieving their goals and really fulfilling their potential, that they do feel a higher workload and increased caregiving responsibilities um, combined with a perceived lack of balance and support from their employers, which then affects their engagement, affects their loyalty, affects their overall well-being. And we've discussed some similar stats about you know, CHROs were really concerned about the general turnover, whether it's somewhat or significantly concerned, 55% somewhat concerned, 35% significantly concerned, because one in five women are saying voluntarily here in 2020, they see it in their stats, have changed employers or say that they're going to opt out of the workforce. And in turn, they also are even considering one in five to totally switch kind of what their occupation is because they're finding it difficult to balance work and life. And they're wanting companies to really step up and define that differently. And so we talked a lot about what are kind of the priorities going forward as CHROs. And there's key themes around leadership development, talent development, 
retention, attraction, culture, employee engagement, motivation, and mental health and well-being, like Emma yeah. said as well. Yeah. But what's interesting for me is if you come back and if you could really focus on like leadership development and culture, the reality is these other things are fulfilled because you'd get talent development, you'd have greater retention, greater attraction, and also you'd have greater employee engagement and therefore also higher well-being because people would feel like they're part of the organization and that they're included because all people really want to do is be valued and be part of a truly inclusive environment. And so as CHROs within our organizations, we need to drive that more. And that happens through leaders' behaviors. And sometimes leaders don't recognize the kind of impact that they're having on the workforce. Yeah. And and as Emma had said, you know, she ain't broken, right? (laughs) It it ends up at the end of the day, it ends up being that culture, right? And, And we know in general, I should say in general, because there are definitely some best practice, bright spot organizations that get it. But in general, that corporate approach, it wasn't working. You know, it wasn't providing women with what they needed to have equal opportunity to advance. And so Lord knows, uh, we can't use it now post pandemic. And I think that's, I think a lot of us, our biggest fear is that everyone's going to say, oh, we can go back to work just the way it used to be. Yeah, we it can't. We can't. We can't. Yeah, the exactly. expectations are much different now, yeah. and we know that. And we know that this has just exasperated things. It's made it much clearer. And women aren't hesitant to express what their needs are. In fact, the general workforce isn't hesitant to express more what their needs oh. are. Organizations need to listen to it. Yeah, that's that's we 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 touched on this in our show last week. Um, with the newer generations, there's this passionate sense of unrest. And we're going to leverage that tailwind. <laughs> um, so, so Sarah, um, you you are like one of my favorite thought partners <laughs> at New. I want to hear what you're thinking sure. about all of this. <laughs> so, I mean, I think I I can bring a little bit of a uh, of another perspective here in terms of you know in my world, I work for a retailer, so I think about this through the lens of the frontline worker in addition to the office worker. And when I think about the frontline worker, I think a lot about the pressures there, which are a little bit different than than the remote worker, which I'll talk about in a minute as well. But when you think about frontline workers, there are so many obstacles for women. um, And when you think about the increased workload of the frontline workers through this COVID um, pandemic, it's just unbelievable the amount of work that our retail, um, um, you know, um, population took on in order to take care of customers, the childcare pressures uh, that women had. I mean, they couldn't work at home. They had to find yeah. childcare yeah. and and show up in our stores. Personal health and safety concerns um, because they're working to serve the customers. If you think about just the the mental um, health challenges of going into a store and thinking about, you know, am I going to contract COVID-19 and then maybe potentially uh, carry that back to my family? Um, There's a lot of pressure there for for women, for all frontline workers, but for women as well. And I'd be remiss too if I didn't talk about other industries because you think about hospitality, you think about food service, and there were just mass layoffs in those industries. And so women were also, um, I think, you know, uh, disparately impacted um, from from those layoffs as well uh, in those frontline 
areas too. And so when you think about women leaving the workforce, it wasn't always voluntarily. It no. happened to them no. because mm-hmm. of um, the, the, just the nature of, of work too. So I think that we have to, we have to step back and think about how can we really look at this challenge from that angle um, and really think about how we can support women um, in the front lines and, and bring them back into the workforce for those who were, who were impacted and also um, continue to support the workers in the front line who are, who are continuing to carry a lot of the workload. In the offices, I mean, you guys have, have hit on a lot of this, the whole blending of work and life. There's just no line anymore for no. people. Um, people are, I call it over, overproductive. I think that a lot of the top leaders are kind of questioning, are, is there a productivity issue? I say, yes, people are too productive. Yeah. Um, it's not a yeah. question of, of productivity anymore. It's it's too much productive productivity and there, our overall well-being is being impacted. And then I think the biggest challenge, which you guys have, have alluded to as well for women, is that um, those of us who are working from home and, and, and those who will continue to work from home will have a, a challenge with visibility and access to opportunity. And that's something that we'll have to work on together to make sure that women are continued to be considered for those, those big promotions and the opportunities going yeah. forward. I, I have to say, personally, I felt like Prior to this past year and a half, I was maybe a B, B plus in terms of being a working mom. Now I feel like I'm a C minus, right? Because <laughs> I don't like, I don't do anything well because there's always some element of chaos, you know, as everything collides, you know, like on this ongoing basis. Um, it, Emma, you alluded to it and, and, and Sarah, you did as well. There clearly was a negative impact to, to women in general but there was a disproportionate impact to women of color. Can you speak to that, Emma, a little bit more in terms of what you discovered in your study? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, look, the good thing about doing a survey this size is that it gave us the opportunity to to actually look at it through an intersectional lens. And that was so important to me because, you know, that the sort of those layers the thing, you know, that get, get layered on in terms of the way, you, you, you know, identities and the impact that has. And so I suppose the most standout for me was that um, women of colour, uh, a greater proportion of women of colour uh, reported that they were subject to non-inclusive behaviours yeah. than the overall sample. Um, they were more likely to report this sort of overwhelmed um, increased responsibility at home and at work. So they were they there were greater reports than the overall sample again, and also reported a far more negative effect. Um, lower levels of mental well-being, um, lower levels again of, of work-life balance, um, and and work-life balance actually, like the sample, was again their their top reason um, for for thinking about a move on, and then um, lower levels of optimism. So that they women of color were less likely than the overall sample to basically say, look, I'm feeling really optimistic in terms of my career. So, you know, there were there were others, but those are the standout ones for me. And then then just from I I also want to call out from an LGBT plus perspective as well. Obviously, we're in Pride Month and and it's really important Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, that we just look through this lens as well. And again, it's like this, this sort of double whammy 
impact. Um, and and so so LGBT plus women again greater uh, exposure to non-inclusive behaviours, um, less likely than those women who are not LGBT plus to say that um, their employer's uh, commitment has been sufficient. So basically, they you know the fewer number of them thought they'd been sufficiently supported. Yeah during the crisis. Um, and then in terms of the non-inclusive behaviours, they were there were a couple of standout ones to me, um, four times more likely to experience jokes of a sexual nature and five times more likely to have experienced disparaging comments um, about their gender. And so, you know, I mean, intersectionality, we've long talked about it. We've, you know, but, but this, I think COVID um, you know the pandemic has really, really highlighted this this sort of double this double yeah. impact, yeah. Um, and you know it, it, it's it's just startling, and and it's good that we've got this data. It's just tragic as to what the data is telling us, but at least we've got you know organisations have something. I was on a you know a, a call yesterday where somebody was saying I'm going to show this to you know yeah. to the leaders yeah. I work with because <laughs> they need to see this they need to understand that this is real and, it, and this it, is what's going on out there yeah if there's a doubt <laughs> erase it yeah. Abby or Sarah anything you want to add to this hi Sarah I, I'd just say you know consistent to what Emma has said no doubt you see it two times, four times, 10 times fold with people of color. And there is something yeah. back to this thought that, you know, companies have policies and practices and pledges in place to what they're doing around diversity, equity, inclusion. But the reality is the actions aren't always following those pledges. And when those actions don't follow those pledges, it's creating even greater distrust and greater dissatisfaction. And I think that's one of the things that the organization should be even more concerned because we need to take the action that supports what we've communicated that drives the change that's required. And with the gap being so significant now, I mean, we have to take immediate action. Yeah, yeah. Sarah, I know in, in, in the industry that you serve, you've got, which is a blessing, a greater representation of diverse um, you know, employees and, and the teams. What what was your experience? I mean, we've had the fortunate experience of we actually, um, we did not see as many people leave our workforce. We were actually hiring. We hired a, a massive amount of individuals in into our workforce and you know we've we've really been putting a lot of of effort into our diversity and inclusion efforts to make sure that we retain and and listen actively listen to what our associates are telling us i think that you know from my perspective when you look at the broader industry the broader us um, those those jobs that have and those those industries that have seen those mass layoffs, they are disproportionately filled with uh, women of color, and that is a big issue. So that's where you see that that women of color are are affected more predominantly during this this pandemic. Um, and we've got to look at this not just through the lens of our own companies. We've got to look at this through the lens of the whole. Uh, because there's such a, a massive impact there. Uh, when you look at the behavioral side of it, to Emma's point, it's 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 a big challenge. When you look at just the sheer impact from a job perspective, from a salary perspective, there's there's a lot of challenge in terms of financial instability for women of color that we we really need to step up and and as as you know leaders help not just in our own companies but across the board. 
Yeah, and it was interesting to see the ripple effect or the domino effect across the industries, right. you know, to your point. And um and and it it probably fueled it didn't probably, it fueled, you know, the 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 willingness of individuals to seek a new job, seek a new mm-hmm. company, seek a new industry, you know, all of that instability. Um, let's um, globally, Emma, anything you want to add from a global perspective? You know, our group focuses in and around the United States, but from a global dynamic, were there any um, countries or locations of the world that stood out as having the worst negative impact on women? Uh, it, it was all pretty bad. Um, <laughs> I, unfortunately, sadly, I don't think there was, any, stand, there was yeah. any standout. I mean, look, there were some slight variances, but actually the picture was fairly consistent globally. I think there, you know, there is something around the uh, legislative environment when it comes to um, benefits that are offered. So maternity benefits, parental leave, those things, I think that comes out in some of the analysis. So where perhaps you have, um, you know, a country that, that you know, as a result of legislation requires um, a, a larger amount of maternity or, or paternity leave. So, so that comes out. But, but overall, it's, you know, it, it was all pretty bad. I mean, the one thing I just wanted to add to what Sarah was saying, which I think is that we, we must bear in mind, we haven't just seen the losses now. The job losses now. My big concern is what we're going to see once we start to return, because mm-hmm. I can tell you, I have so many people I know that are biding their time. They want the security. They don't want to start a new job during this era we're currently in. But as soon as we start to get back to normal, I think you're going to see a bit of a, you know, a, quite quite a lot of movement as well there. So I think we, I don't think we've seen half of it yet. Absolutely. So we're going to take a short commercial break. I want to thank everybody who's been listening so far to our Advancing All Women show. You can always check us out at newonline.org for more information on new and to listen to all of our podcasts. But hang in there with us because now we're going to move into, all right, what do you do? How do you take action to reverse this trend? So we'll be back in just a few minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Network of Executive Women is a nonprofit dedicated to advancing all women and transforming our workplaces through the power of community. We are a growing community of more than 13,500 professional women and men, representing nearly 900 organizations across North America. We are a strong, collective voice for everyone in the corporate world who wants to see gender equality become a reality, and we welcome all who champion our cause. Members of NEW gain access to a broad network of like-minded professionals dedicated to women's equity and leadership development. Corporate organizations also gain access to DEI Solutions, which fosters a more inclusive and productive work culture. Plus, members can engage across NEW's 22 regional communities and attend two annual national conferences, which bring together the strongest minds in DEI and leadership. Join Network of Executive Women today. Visit newonline.org slash membership to learn more about becoming a member of NEW. That's newonline.org slash membership. 
Our thoughts and feelings not only affect our own lives, but the lives of everyone around us. Find new meanings of love, authentic expressions, and better connections with the people in your life. Tune in to Love Light with Dr. Jean Marie Farish. This program will feature guests and discuss ideas that will bring a better life to you. When you find this perspective on love, it will change everything. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. There are lots of unanswered questions about life's problems, and this is especially true about spiritual life. Why can't we see God? Why is there evil in this world? Why does God let bad things happen to us and to others? Can we get divine help? Join Carl Mollison and co-host Brian Kelly for Get Wisdom. They have new answers from the Almighty you need to hear. And listening could definitely change your life. Tune in every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Advancing All Women with host Sarah Alter. Want to learn more about the show and about Network of Executive Women? Visit our website today at newonline.org. That's N-E-W online.org. Now, back to Advancing All Women. Well, welcome back. You are listening to Sarah Alter in the Advancing All Women show. I am joined today by Emma Codd, Global Inclusion Leader, Deloitte Global, Abby Luresman, soon to be EVP and Chief People Officer for Otis Elevators, and Sarah McGowan, SVP Global Talent Leadership and Diversity at Ahol Del Hayes. Our topic at hand, how can we better support working women and caregivers in this post-COVID era? So I have an esteemed group of thought leaders here, and and we've been, gosh, this has been our top priority (laughs) for how long? But um, in one of our recent conversations, we talked about what's so key as a leader is that you have to know how to listen, because with this collision of work and life and family and household all under one roof, it's created just incredible stressors particularly for working mothers and and working caregivers. But um, Abby, um, talk to us about why listening is just so key. I mean, you'd think it should have been key all along, but now even more so. (laughs) Well, you know, Sarah, I think, you know, employees just want their employer to know that they are people first not just workers. So they want their voice heard and they want to be understood. It's one thing to be listened to, but it's another thing to really understand what that individual's needs are. And I actually think there's 
there's a desire that associates and employees want us to change the value proposition. The needs are different. And so many times we put work on one side, life on the other side, but the recognition is work is actually part of life. And those things need to be more integrated. And the same when we look at an individual, they want them to know that, hey, I'm a person. So I've got work and life combined. I'm also a family member. I'm also part of a community. And I have some interests and hobbies. And all those things impact how I do my job. And I want to be able to love what I do and love who I do it with. And in order for me to do that, I need to know as an employee that I'm being heard and I'm being valued. And when I don't feel heard and don't feel valued, that's when there becomes discontent and don't feel that I can contribute at the level that I want to contribute. And I think we have to step back and think about kind of the who, where, and why of an individual and and just recognize that and recognize it's no longer just an employee value proposition where you think about the attributes that a person is bringing to the job and the job to be done, but there's also the emotional response and it's more the human deal. They want their leader to understand it's a full deal you know, you're getting me yeah. as, as a person versus as a worker. So therefore, understand my needs and be flexible. Yeah. And it's it's listening not only at that one-on-one level, but then it's providing the forum in group sessions as well. A number of our partners have a best practice of they'll do listening sessions with the CEO, you know, with the C-suite team. And the expectation isn't that the the, the executives who are there has all the answers, you know, has all the solutions, but that they're open hearts and open minds and open ears to what people are thinking and feeling. And, and that, that to me, I think is one key best practice, right? For any leader today, it's like, okay, if you're not to your point, having genuine and open conversations with each one of your, your employees or your leaders aren't doing the same with their teams and opening up like, hey, I want to hear about how your life is going. You need to start doing that. And then as a group, if you're not having those listening sessions, um, you know, start with that. It, it uh, Yeah, when I joined new four years back, uh, Charlottesville had just happened. And I had a number of our partners call up and say, our employees all want to hear what the CEO has to think or feel. What do we do? And I'm like, yes. have a listening session, <laughs> you know, because that's just an expectation. That's the norm. Yeah. Um, Sarah, you're, you're, you're listening. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Abby, finish that thought. And then Sarah, I want to move on to you. <laughs> and to, be, to be able to listen and then also show your own vulnerability as a leader. I mean, yeah. to recognize and understand what somebody is going through and then also to share the experience. And then at the right point in time, take the actions that are needed to drive the change that's needed. Yeah, no, I, I found that my team was, you know, openly sharing with me when they were having a bad day. And I realized, okay, you know what, I got to be as open and transparent. And so when there were days that I was a bit prickly, I shared that too. (laughs) And it, you know, it didn't, you know, rock their boats, but it was more like, okay, I don't feel bad. You know, even Sarah's, you know, got her good days and baddies. Um, Sarah McGowan. Yeah. <laughs> a couple a couple points. One one reaction to that. The first is that vulnerability, authenticity, and listening is is so important to people. And additionally, taking action, um, what people say is also important. 
So when you're listening, when you have group sessions to be able to take one or two things and really act on that, because otherwise people will stop telling you (laughs) what they think. So that's, that's just a really important call out too. Um, uh, because they people want to feel that they're heard and they want to see that that there's positive momentum coming from those those sessions. Um, so I think that's that's a really concrete action that people can take. Um, the other thing that that I think in terms of the the notion of flexibility, I think what we hear a lot from people is that they really want flexibility when it comes to being flexible. So there is not a one size fits all. So when it comes down to policies, yeah. A lot of companies are sort of searching for what's our remote working policy. And a lot from what I have heard from people is um, they really don't want to be told you have to be in the office one day a week. You have to be Mm -hmm. working from home three days a week. They want that level of flexibility. They want their employer to really trust them to make the right choices um, and to make the best choices for for them, for their family to make the choice that works for their role as well. And for me, you know, uh, I have a team that is based in the U.S. I have some people that are based in Zandam in the Netherlands. And some people really love working from home and some people really love working in the office. And so I could not say you must be in the office or you must be at home. I really am trying to entrust my teams to be able to make those decisions for themselves. And I think they really appreciate that. And they're yeah. they're able to do that. Yeah. It, yeah. There's no one hybrid term, right? Mm-hmm. Or approach. Um, Emma, you and I have been chatting about this. Um, creating this flexibility, though, will come with its challenges, and that it could potentially create the us and the them. Share with everybody what your thought was on that, because this is another key thing that I think leaders and organizations really need to factor into this approach. Yeah, I mean, it, it, so hybrid model everybody's talking about it at the moment or smart working mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. um you know and i and sarah i absolutely agree uh, sarah mcgowan absolutely agree with with what you're talking about what people want the trouble is that needs to be enabled by good leadership and enabled by a culture and you used a word i think in trust and the trust bit is exactly what unfortunately is, is often lacking when flexible working arrangements just go badly wrong and it's, you know, so it's it's a mutual trust that's needed. I mean, and from a hybrid model perspective, look, I think we're at a tipping point. We're at, you know, we're rebuilding. We're talking about rebuilding the workplace um, for many of us. And I just think there is an opportunity to get this right. But equally, I think there's an opportunity where it could go quite wrong. And I do worry about, you know, I, I so look, I'm a working mother. Um, I, I have uh, twin daughters who are 12 years old. I pre the pandemic was just about making it work. And in March <laughs> last year, I went to hanging on by a thread, which is what I've been doing for the last however long. And, oh, you know, new, new job. So increased workload, um, no childcare. Um, you know, my nanny came down with COVID, went back home. I then came down with COVID and I didn't really want anybody else coming into the house. Off. So, so that whole dream um, you know, is, is, has reflected <laughs> my life. And, and so I'm now in a position where I'm thinking, oh, now what do I do? So when the office reopens, at least I know there's someone here for my kids, even though I'm not yeah. really present, yeah. I'm just sitting in a room on calls. But, and so it's trying to work out what works for me. But then at the back of my mind, my little inner Emma is saying, but I need to make sure I'm there at the right time with the right people. And then I'm thinking, why are you thinking that? 
that's ridiculous so right. so my I'm very yeah. clear with my rules it's about collaboration I want to I really miss being with my team so those that want to join great but I just think organizations need to be very careful that they don't inadvertently create a layer of exclusion um, and this was mentioned earlier you know between those that that really can't come in every day and there are lots of people that will want to go back in every day I'm sure I won't be able to many other women may not be able to and therefore how do we work you know when when we've got five people in a room four people on a call at the moment it's easy we're all together remotely but actually how do we manage those so I think it's going to need to relook at our leadership skills and back to the beginning where you started listening and you know and how an authentic leadership to Abby's point as well and I think this this best practice of if you're going to have people at home and you're now going to have people, you know, in the conference room, everybody logs into their laptop, joins the Zoom. So you're all there equally, even though, you know, some may be physically sitting at the conference room table, you know, others are sitting at their home desk. Um, there doesn't feel that divide. My my husband's a professor and that's how he's been teaching his classes because he had half the class in the classroom and half the class all over the world. And that ended up being a best practice. So key, key takeaway. Um, thank you, Emma, for being so, so genuine and sharing. I, I, I feel like I am hanging by a thread as well. Only I think the thread broke and I had to retie it at one point. But, you know. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but, yeah. Right. Um, Abby or Sarah, your experiences, your personal experiences. Um, Sarah, let's start with you. Yeah, I mean, I'm in the same boat. You know, I think we're all we're all in that same boat, um, and and every day is a new adventure and challenge. <laughs> I love it in this working from home um, um, arena. You know, for me, I've been sort of in this in this area for a bit longer because my job is based in the Netherlands and I'm in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So there's a little bit more. Um, um, capability there in terms of of doing this. But for for me, it kind of created exactly what you're saying, uh, Sarah, a level playing field, because it was like, all of a sudden, one day, everyone's on teams. I'm like, wow, here's my whole team all together. And so that is a best practice that we're going to carry forward that that we're all going to be on teams. And I think that was a key learning for us as we as we've come out of this. Um, but I do, I do really feel, you know, even for me, having worked in this sort of environment for some time, that it it takes a lot to both manage my life and also make sure that I am actively listening and drawing in every single team member, just as a leader, right? And and get it to Emma's point about leadership skills. You really have to be very intentional as a leader to make sure everyone feels that they are part of. The virtual team yeah. every single day. And that also takes a lot of energy. It's, mm-hmm. it's energy zapping in and of itself. And so there's this constant worry of, am I, am I a good worker? Am I a good mother? And am I a good leader to my team? Right? Am I, am I yeah. doing enough for my team? So there's, to me, it's like three levels of, of, of you know, assessment um, in my head. And so that, that is, that's a constant pressure for me. Um, and you know, you hope that you're, you're just carrying it on <laughs> well. <laughs> and I've, I've absolutely felt the same way, Sarah McGowan, because I, I sit back and I think about, I'm naturally a full on person. 
And I always want to be, you know, a great leader, a great mom, a great sister, you know, all those kind of things. And you, you have high expectations. And this has been a real period where people have had different needs. And when you want to be great at all those things, you want to truly tune in to those individual needs. Sometimes you're not fully looking after yourself and taking care of your own needs. And so that thread that Sarah Emin mentioned, it breaks a little sooner than what you expect. And you've got to take that moment to kind of step back. And I've had several times where I've just had to step back and say, okay, what do I also need? And, and what do I also need from my team members? Or what do I also need from my husband? Or in my case, our daughter, because as Sarah mentioned, I'm I'm a soon-to-be EVP and CPO of Otis Worldwide, and I'm really excited about that. I'm also transitioning from Ajo Del Hazen from the Netherlands and from the US, and all those things kind of stack on top of each other. And you have to just come back and say, what really makes a difference? What really do you want to prioritize and what do you value? And how can you best contribute? And recognize sometimes you can't be all things to everyone. And also being great is defined differently. And I love Sarah McGowan that you talked a little bit about the flexibility too, because I recognize that when we go back to work, however that's defined, that flexibility is going to be defined differently for an individual and maybe differently for the team. And what's key is that we collectively communicate about it and set the right standards and put rituals in place. And that's one of the things that I've been seeing and talking about with some of the CHROs from different organizations is how are you already preparing for kind of new rituals to set the guideline going forward? So there's not certain expectations on dedicated work hours, but it's more about starting to define how the job needs to be done and enabling it to be more fluid. It's not so much where or when, but more focusing on the what, and people are even getting more specific on the goal setting process and having it be refreshed more regularly so you are focused on the what and not worry so much about the when and how it gets done. Yeah, and there's got to be this major shift of the mindset of there's one general standard or policy or, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's that I, I think has always so much been the governing, <laughs> you know, force and, and that's clearly got to shift. Sarah, if there's one more point that I could just please, yeah. Work that I would encourage um, all the listeners to think about too, as a leader and as a woman to also put self-care first, mm-hmm. um, putting self-care first for yourself and then encouraging your team to put self-care first as well. I mean, I, during this time frame, I had a, a pretty significant personal healthcare crisis, non-COVID related. Um, and that was a big lesson for me as well. That regardless, you know, I talk about those three things, being a great leader, being a great mom, being a great worker, and, and above all, for all of us, your own health and your, your own, the self-care for, of, of, you know, for yourself is the most important thing. And to consistently remind your team, consistently remind yourself that you've got to put yourself first, I think is a very concrete thing to remember in all of this as well. And we, you know, we need to, we need to be uh, reminded of that. Can't say it enough. Absolutely. In fact, that was one of the reasons we started this incredible partnership with Voice America and this radio show, and then the resulting podcasts, because we had so many of our members say, Hey, you know, I go out and I do walking meetings and I, I want to, you know, continue my leadership development at night and on the weekends. And so we wanted to be flexible and being able to share all this great advice. Okay, so I'm going to shift us now to best 
practice sharing. So I would love for each one of you to give one um, great example of something a leader or an organization can do today, tomorrow, and thereafter to you know better serve working women and caregivers. So um, Abby, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, what I a best practice and what I'm seeing in organizations is they're stepping back and really thinking about how they're going to rebuild for as people come back to however that ends up being defined and really rebuilding for the better and making sure that they instill in leadership the right kind of development to be more of a gender equality leader and to really focus on having your leaders connect within the organization. And so I've heard and believe, and I see it happen, that when leaders focus on being more affirming with their workforce, when leaders focus on giving more quality time to their workforce, when leaders do acts of service, when there's a specific need that they step up, roll up their sleeves, and that they're a part of it, and that they recognize people for their contributions, what happens is people naturally feel more secure in their work environment because they're being affirmed and they're being recognized. They also feel greater self-worth and they end up driving greater personal significance and therefore they contribute at higher levels. So what I would tell you as a leader and what I see as a best practice with leaders, leaders who really care and leaders who demonstrate that love for the relationship Mm -hmm. make a big difference. And what happens is productivity engagement naturally goes up. And you see that in winning organizations because where there's great leadership, you're not seeing as many of the challenges that we've talked about even on this call. You're actually seeing those organizations thrive and take a step forward. Yeah. Yeah. It's saying thank you. It's saying I appreciate you. Right. And I, or even better yet, how can I help? How can I be of help to you? And yeah, no, I love it, Abby. Um, Sarah, your best practice. I think that um, one best practice that organizations should keep in mind as it relates to this is creating uh, visibility for women, um, creating targeted um, development programs for women, because I do fear that women are going to get lost um, in this remote working world. So putting putting very, very targeted um, programs in place where you create that visibility, whether it's through mentoring sponsorship programs, where you have, you know, listening sessions that are targeted to women. Um, so leaders are really reaching out, having specific outreach and targeting uh, women, hearing from them, um, regardless of whether they're in the office or, or working remote is, is one best practice that I would encourage every organization to undertake right now. Very probably. And Emma, can you round us out? Yeah, um, and I completely agree with with everything that <laughs> ditto, um, ditto, right? Abby yeah. and Sarah McGowan have said. I look, I think to me personally, and it's actually reflective of the research that we did as well. I I I think a lot of this comes down to what I call everyday culture, lived culture, your lived experience. When you when you you know when you're interacting with work, do you feel included, excluded, respected, disrespected. And that all comes down to leadership behaviors as well. And, and, you know, we want to be successful around agile or flexible working. You know, the only way we made that work was by really focusing on leadership behavior, because it's all very well saying you can work in this way. But then when someone does the walk of shame of 5 p.m. out of the office and they see a raised eyebrow or they see somebody nudging somebody else or 
So it's those little things, the non, you know, they're not little because they have a massive impact, but the things that have managed to work their way in um, to, to our environment, we've got a chance to change that now. And so, and then my other point, absolutely echoing Sarah is it takes deliberate steps. We are now talking about correcting a major amount of damage that's been done. We always needed deliberate steps, but now more than ever, my old CEO in the UK used to say, it has to feel difficult. If it doesn't feel difficult, it's not going to work. And that's what I would say to everybody is that test. If it, you know, it has to feel difficult because goodness, we've got a lot to sort out now. Yeah. It, 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 if your dreams don't scare you, they're just not big enough. Right. And no, somebody used that word dream. I want to thank um, all three of you. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, it's always a joy and a pleasure <laughs> to have a conversation with you. I'm so inspired by you. And, and I know that everybody who is listening and, and will listen in the future for our podcast um, is going to appreciate the, the advice and the guidance that you've provided. Uh, I want to thank Voice America for giving me anew this opportunity to share our voice and our mission um, with all of you. And Emma, you referenced it earlier, but it is indeed Pride Month. Um, And so next week, um, we're going to be joined by an incredible group of thought leaders and partners, and and we're going to focus on how to support and advance the LGBTQ plus leaders in our workplace. So it's going to be an incredible conversation, a lot to share, um, and and very excited for that discussion as well. As always, if you want to check out the Network of Executive Women, um, you can visit us at newonline.org. We have an incredible library of content and curriculum and virtual experiences that you can engage in. So please do come visit us, and even better yet, become a member. I'm Sarah Alter, and I want to thank everybody for listening today. Thanks for listening to Advancing All Women with host Sarah Alter. Be sure to tune in again next week. Our program is live every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment or catch our replays weekly on Voice America Influencers. Until we talk again, enjoy your week.